the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to answering your questions about the Bible. And it's only because we want you to know more and more and more about Jesus. Because the more you know about it, the more you can love him. And the more you love him, well, there's no end to the life that he has waiting for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. It's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. And as always, you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or via our free mobile app. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. We did. and. We just entered into John chapter 15, uh, and and we were blessed, and I prayed that you were too. I prayed that people got saved. Every time somebody gets saved, we're one more person closer to Jesus returning. That's the way we look at it. So please, people, get saved so Jesus can come back. Uh, because it's Monday night tonight, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. Ladies, Paula is actually teaching tonight uh, at 7 o'clock. Child care is provided. Pastor Ken is in the Gospel of Mark. And Nellie, our youth pastor, is in the book of Genesis, teaching the high school age kids. So again, I hope you had a great day at church. I hope you have heard from the Lord pray that you got the opportunity to minister to somebody. Uh, I had a chance today at the gym to, to kind of share with somebody. You know, it was one of those days where uh, at the gym, now I'm not a gym person. I, I go all the time. I hate it. Uh, Paula goes and she loves it. She's got a smile on her face and she's just talking to people. And I just want to be anywhere else. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So today I saw a guy I hadn't seen before at the gym. And um, he just it, for a moment, um, you just look at him, and right then I knew that the Lord wanted to open a door um, for me to talk to him, to share with him. I didn't know anything about him, uh, so I just kept waiting. I asked Paula a question that might have been allowed me to approach him and talk to him, and she didn't have the, the answer. And and so uh, some time went by, and he walked by, and I was able to talk with him and share with him. And a uh, really, really nice guy. So, um, uh, Please keep him in your prayers. God knows who he is. And um, I always look for those opportunities, and God always provides them. I had something else. Oh, well. One more time, phone numbers, and we'll get into the questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. had a question from Antoinette, and she wanted to know, how can you tell that Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is a double prophecy? Um, I don't 
necessarily into it like the word double prophecy. Uh, prophecy by its nature at times has both short-term and long-term fulfillment. And it's better to view it that way because the prophecies are given uh, in time to a particular person, usually dealing with a specific situation. You can go uh, through through the, the, the prophets, all of the major and minor, and see examples of prophecies that are partially fulfilled and then they have later fulfillment as well, short-term and long-term fulfillment. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is really a pretty easy one to explain. The, the verse says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophecy continues in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, Almighty will accomplish this. Well, here's how we know, Antoinette, that it's uh, your term, a, a double prophecy. Uh, part of it's been fulfilled for us to, for unto us, a child is born. Uh, that speaks to Jesus's human birth. Um, Jesus was born a baby, um, a, a, a fully human. Uh, we know historically that happened in Bethlehem uh, some 2,000 years ago. Uh, to us, a son is given. And that's the idea that Jesus is also 100% God, a son of God who is also God the Son. And, of course, that was fulfilled at precisely the same time. Uh, when Jesus was born, uh, the man Jesus and Jesus, who is the Son of God, was born for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and so we know that part was fulfilled in time and space. Now, the rest of the prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. The government will be on his shoulders. It is not yet. It's a reference to the millennial reign of Christ. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That, too, will be fulfilled when he assumes the throne of David uh, in the millennial reign. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Um, none of that has been fulfilled yet, but it will be fulfilled. Just as the first part of the prophecy has been filled, so too will the second part. It's just for another time. So I hope that makes sense to you, Antoinette, and I appreciate the question, and I appreciate a lot the study. Here is a question from Bryce, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, the timing of this one's really good. I actually had this question on Friday, uh, but I, I got to deal with it yesterday in our Bible study in John chapter 15. Bryce says, uh, Pastor Ron, how can we reconcile free will and God's sovereignty? Now, before I deal with what I talked about yesterday, Bryce... We don't have to worry about the tension between those two things. The Bible teaches very clearly that we who are humans have to exercise our free will to make choices, the choice to serve God, the choice to believe in God, the choice to follow God. Paul talks about quenching the Spirit. Uh, um, we know that we don't make good choices typically, uh, and so we exercise our free will. We have the free will to say yes to God, but we also have the free will to say no to God. So free will, man's participation uh, in the, the plan of God uh, is required. God's sovereignty isn't at odds with that. God is sovereign. God determines uh, our steps. God uh, makes plans for our lives. Now, he doesn't force us to do those things, but God has a plan. God knows who's going to be saved because God is uh, omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. And God's sovereignty is always going to be worked out, ultimately ending in Jesus' reign uh, in Jerusalem during the millennial reign uh, on earth. Now, the, the, the problem that a lot of people see is, well, if God is sovereign and God makes things happen, then we don't have free will. I think the problem, Bryce, is that we, we look at sovereignty as causative. And I would suggest to you that God's sovereignty is never demonstrated in a more powerful way than when he uses those who oppose him to accomplish his purpose. For example, in the book of Job, I don't know if I'll get to it today, but we have a question later uh, about the book of Job. Um, uh, God uses the enemy of God, Satan, 
to accomplish his will in and through Job's life and certainly to, to write a part of the Bible. God works all things together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, whether it's Old Testament or New. That's just one example. So God's sovereignty doesn't cause things to happen. Things happen, and then God's sovereignty works out through those things. It's a very important thing to understand. Now, here's what I talked about yesterday, Bryce, and this is, I think, the the, the best possible way to, to describe or to deal with the tension that we perceive between God's sovereignty and man's free will. Jesus said in our study yesterday, uh, talking to his disciples in uh, right after the upper room, they're on their way to, to Gethsemane, and Jesus picks up a branch and he says, uh, um, um, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. So that's the partnership between man's free will and God's sovereignty. Now, here's the thing that's important to understand about this. Our choice is proactive. We have to make the choice to abide in Jesus. If we abide in him, then God's sovereignty is reactive to the choice that we make. And that means then Jesus said, I will abide in you. So it's real simple. It's a partnership. Our part is to abide in Jesus. When we do that, then his part is to abide in us. And then together we walk right in the middle of his perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will. And there's no end to the wonderful works that God can do. So, Bryce, don't look at the sovereignty of God and the free will of man as at odds with one another, actually complementing one another. And then God's sovereignty is really declared um, with power by virtue of the fact that God can take the bad choices we make, can take those who oppose him and still accomplish his will, not only in our lives but in the world. So God doesn't make us do anything, but the moment we choose him, he chooses us right back. So I hope that answers your question, Bryce. Good timing based on my Bible study yesterday. Um, We're partners with God, and I like that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is um, a question from Drew. Uh, Drew says, Pastor, on in Jeremiah's day, the southern kingdom, Judah, was disobedient and worshipped idols. God told Jeremiah to stop praying for them. Isn't that a chilling thing? He says it's in chapter 7, 11, and 14. Uh, I mean, that's a chilling thing when God tells the prophet to stop praying for them. Wow. And the question continues, if our loving God told Jeremiah to stop praying, this must have indicated the people had crossed the line for which there was no return. I was wondering if our nation is in a similar predicament. For example, the abortion, uh, the slaughter of 60 million babies, uh, our prayers for our nation and leaders falling on God's deaf ears. How would we know and recognize that praying for our nation is no longer God's will? And then he asks for my thoughts. Great question, Drew, but we have to make a distinction now. Jerusalem, Israel, was a covenant nation with God. The United States is not. We do not have a national relationship uh, as Americans with with God as, as Israel did. You're right, God told Jeremiah to stop praying because they had crossed the line. In fact, the prophecies of Jeremiah were about all of the judgment to come, and over and over it was like this judgment has been decreed, this judgment is written, it's it's written in stone. In other words, there's no turning back. So God knew the judgment was going to happen. Now to us, that sounds a little harsh, stop praying, but remember, he'd been warning Israel for a very, very long time. The southern kingdom, earlier the northern kingdom, he'd been warning them for a very, very long time time and they rejected all of his prophets we can go all the way back to isaiah who was primarily prophesying to the northern kingdom but not exclusively and we can go all the way back and we can we can see over and over and over how they turned a deaf ear to god so at some point god's ears became deaf to them now in the united states certainly we are guilty as a nation of horrible sin Uh, the murder of 60 million babies as you pointed out uh, is a horrendous evil against mankind you know even our country we've got the right uh, to life to liberty and the pursuit of happiness uh, except we somehow have legalized the right to take away life from those before it even starts but we're not a covenant nation 
So here's the way to pray for our nation. And I do it every day, by the way, for our, for our leaders and stuff. You pray that they get saved. You know, God has given us governors to, to be agents of good, to do what is right, to protect us, to do well by us. But because our governors have lost the fear of God, uh, they've messed it up, and they're going to stand before God super accountable, and they're going to be judged, and much is given, much is required. So that's what we need to understand. But, but to, to, to pray for God to heal our nation as though we enjoy the same status that Israel did is to misunderstand. So pray that our leaders get saved. Pray for their souls. God is not saving nations any longer. He's saving individuals. That's the time that we live in this dispensation called grace. So pray for the people. Now, you can pray that they would make wise decisions, knowing full well that they can't make wise decisions apart from God, but pray that they would know him. So there is the answer, Drew, to all those questions. Um, God never, uh, our prayers are never fall on deaf ears. Jesus has created access so that we can pray, but we need to pray effectively and correctly. Don't confuse Israel with the United States. Drew, great question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Debbie calling on line one. Debbie, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How's your day? Hi. My day is good. Thank you. Well, good. Um, I my question is with Genesis one twenty seven twenty eight. Um, I'm a little confused because he it says in Genesis one that God created mankind in His own image, um, but He created them, and He created male and female them. Yeah. Now, did He create people that were before Adam and Eve? No, I'm, I don't. Uh, it, Debbie, when he says God created man in his own image, Adam was creating God's own image. What that means is that Adam is eternal. Adam has the, 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 the ability to choose uh, how and with whom he's going to live in the image of God he created. And that doesn't mean we look like God or anything like that. It means that, that we're right. made mm-hmm. with the ability to choose and with, with eternality in, in view. Uh, then when, when in, in the NIV it's got a, a semicolon there. And then it's just more information. Male and female, he created them. We know uh, from um, um, Genesis that that God put Adam to sleep and he created uh, Eve out of the side of Adam. So he is responsible for creating first Adam in the image of God, but then he created Eve from Adam, but she was also created in the image of God, eternal and with the ability to choose. So Adam and Eve are the only two two people who were ever born, who were born by the direct finger of God. Everyone else was born or created by the process God gave, but Adam and Eve were created directly by the image of God. And I think that's the value of uh, Genesis one twenty-seven. Does that make sense? Okay. okay. I think so. So what you're saying is that the people he created in 27, 28 were by the process rather than the finger of God in by Adam and Eve. Um, well, in Genesis one twenty five, you're going to go back to 26. He's talking about uh, God created man as own image. Verse 27 is a direct reference to Adam and Eve. But 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 okay. in, in in verse twenty six, God said, "Let us make man in our own image." This is day six of creation, in our likeness. That's the the the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, sort of where eavesdropping in on a conversation in the heavenly realms, and the result of that. Verse 26 is, okay, God created Adam, and then he created Eve by his direct finger. And then, of course, the rest of the people that would be born uh, were also creations of God, but not by the finger of God. So uh, verse 26 is just Father, Son, and Spirit saying, uh, on the sixth day, let us make man in our image uh, and let them rule over okay. And here's the, the thing. And, and so verse 27 was just the result. So God created man. And we might even read that. Remember the name for man in Hebrews, Adam. Uh, God created mm-hmm. Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he adds the fact that male and female, Adam and Eve, he created them both. 
I see. So, and they're also, if you don't mind, one more question, I don't. please. Mm-hmm. And I'll listen to you over the air, okay? Okay. Fine. Um, what, um, I heard a coworker was explaining to me that there was some, to me it's nonsense, but correct me if I'm wrong, please. Um, but there were some bad angels that may have came, you know, some fallen angels that came and, and were mating with the human race. That this, mm-hmm. I mean, that's creepy. <laughs> it is God. God thought, thought so too, because that's that was the reason that there was a flood of judgment in Genesis chapter six. Debbie, there there was there is an angel so fierce, so powerful, so rebellious, so evil. Uh, one that was was angels that were fallen in Satan's rebellion, uh, that they had to be bound for the day of judgment. Uh, we're we're actually discussing that in Revelation. Um, th- th- those angels that were bound and released. Uh, Jude mentions uh, that they were reserved for that very special day. Genesis chapter six talks about uh, the sons of God, and that's a reference to angels. That that, that Hebrew term is never used to, for anything other than than angelic beings uh, who came to and took the daughters of men, the distinction is very clear. And I think personally, now there's a lot of dispute over this, uh, probably there'll be more people disagree with me than agree with me. The problem is those who disagree don't have any explanation for the context and for the flood, uh, the severe judgment of God on the whole world that occurred afterwards. Uh, evidently, there was a, 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 a angels that were so powerful uh, that they had to be constrained. One of the things that they evidently had the ability to do was appear as human, and they would come and they would try to take uh, daughters of men, human women, and and procreate with them. And the idea is that, that Satan was using them to try to so pollute the human race that Jesus could have never come. Um, obviously, angels, devil, fallen angels, no longer have that ability. Those angels that did have been locked up and will remain locked up until the very end of time uh, but uh, it would appear to me that that's exactly what they had the opportunity to do now the people who uh, disagree with me and again they are in the majority they will say uh, well that's not possible because angels are, aren't going to able to, they're never been able to procreate And but, but you remember in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, the angels, the destroying angels who actually went to visit uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they actually actually believed, the people of Sodom believed they could have sex with those angels. So uh, that's what they were trying to do, and that's why they were judged. So the whole idea there is there, there's a category of angels so terrible, so evil, that they had to be bound. I personally believe that the angels who left their first estate that are being referred to in Jude, uh, I think it's verse 6 of that one chapter book, I think it refers to those angels, and I do uh, especially, my own opinion is that uh, there were angels who were able to procreate, and the the whole purpose was to pollute mankind or to pollute human lineage so that Jesus could not be born. Uh, And and that's the only reason there would have been the the severe reaction of the flood of judgment that wiped out the whole world uh, except for Noah and his family. Again, that's my opinion. It is a minority opinion, uh, but I just don't think any Anything else makes sense in the context. So, um, does that make any sense? Uh, oh, she said, "Okay, okay." Thank you, Debbie. But, but don't worry; they can't. Angels can't do that anymore. It's just okay. Sick. Okay, thanks, Patron. Thank you, Debbie. You know, we we do things. Yes, it's sick. It's sick. Angels, but remember, there is no end to the evil that fallen angels could do. And we know because there are angels of all different levels of power, um, good angels and bad. Um, there's no end to the good a good angel can do, no end to the evil a fallen angel can do. So I, again, Genesis 6 makes no sense. Uh, the way it's written, where it's written, if that isn't the case. 
three four zero ninety five eighty five. George, I'm sorry that we kept you holding uh, for so long. Uh, the lines are clear now, and if you have the ability to call back, uh, we're two minutes till this uh, till this half of the program is over. We'd love to have you call back. You always ask really great questions if you're the George that normally calls. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, I have a question here from Martin, who's seven years old. Does God hate the devil? Um, Martin, he does. Now, the problem is, well, God is love, and how can God hate? Um, Remember, God is love, and he created all things, including Lucifer, who was the devil before he became the devil. He was the angel Lucifer. Uh, And Lucifer chose to rebel. So God deals with the devil in a way that certainly doesn't appear to be loving. Uh, And so that's how God is. God is love. Love is who he is. It's what he does. Uh, But he hates evil. And the devil, of course, is evil. I had somebody ask me, well, well, do you think the devil will get a second chance? No. Angels who fell made their choice once and for all. Once, I always say, once and forever. And, and there's no turning back for them. It's like Drew's question earlier. Um, Jeremiah was told to stop praying for the people because the, the judgment had been decreed. Well, that was the case with angels. Now, remember, Martin, these angels stood in the presence of God. Lucifer was the most beautiful angel God ever created. And instead of being grateful, he chose to rebel. So, yep, God hates evil. God hates the devil. You can hear the music with you in the first half hour for the Monday edition of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the monday edition of the program 30 minutes left in today's program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions remember ladies tonight is our ladies bible study paula will be teaching i think they're still in second samuel and uh pastor can be teaching the men in the Gospel of Mark, Pastor Nelly uh, in the book of Genesis with the high school age youth, and of course, child care is provided. We're busy around here because we're getting right to the end of school. It's a neat thing. The seniors were practicing a play out here outside the door before, and it's just, just a neat time. Okay, here's a question from Jason. He wants to know, uh, I am trying to discern God's will about a decision that I have to make. Is it okay to sort of lay out a fleece to be sure? Uh, Jason, I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to my whole answer. Uh, I, I don't think it is okay to lay out a fleece. You know, uh, we Christians do that, and it sounds so spiritual. Well, Gideon did it. He laid out a fleece, and God answered. And he laid out another fleece, and God answered. So he knew for sure. Um, but, but Gideon did that, Jason, because his faith was weak. It wasn't a strong faith demonstration to do so. It was a weak faith demonstration. So it's not okay. We have a relationship with God that Gideon couldn't begin to imagine. We have Jesus himself living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have his word, his New Testament that that Gideon, of course, knew nothing about. So when we're trying to discern God's will about something, here's what we know we, we need to do. First, don't ever feel pressure to make a decision. I've told people here for years and years and years, if somebody's putting pressure on you to make a decision, just that means the answer is no. God doesn't pressure us. God doesn't compel us. And I think sometimes we feel pressure, one, because we want to make the decision. It's something that we want to do. Sure, we want to make sure it's God's will, but I really want to do it. And I've had people come and say, you know, I have to give them a decision in 24 hours. I've always counseled people to call them and tell them the answer is no. Because I want to know, and Jason, I don't know whether you're married or not, if, you're, if you've got a wife and children, um, you owe it to them to make sure that you know that whatever moves you make are led by the Spirit of God. 
So you don't have to guess. God's not going to keep you in the dark. Here's what I counsel people to do, and I, I know this sounds like real kind of mystical to some people, but, but it doesn't have to be. Just ask him. Jesus, here's the decision set before me. And I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do anything else. And even if you want to make a decision, you say, but I only want it if you want it for me, Lord. He really appreciates that kind of prayer. And then simply say, show me your will, Lord. And usually for me, Jason, I get three answers. One of three answers. I either get a yes, that's very clear. I'll be reading God's Word. He will confirm that answer to me uh, over and over. That's what I love about the living and active Word of God. So if I'm in the Word, um, uh, from, if Paul and I are talking about something, uh, I'll get an answer very clearly and very quickly. Sometimes the answer is no. And usually those answers come very quickly as well. Sometimes I don't like that answer. I'm no different than anybody else. But God answered very clearly. Uh, the third answer is really not answer. And I always consider those sort of like yellow lights. Now, here's the other thing I do, Jason. It's very important. Again, if you are married and your question doesn't indicate whether you are or not. But if you're married, you're one flesh. You and your wife are walking together. So what I do in a situation like that, if I think this is what God is leading me to do, I go to Paula. Now, why would I go to anybody else first? Paula loves me. She's proven it. Paula is always and only one of the best for me. I don't know anybody in this world who is more godly than Paula, who wants to please the Lord more. So I'll go to Paula and say, Paula, here's what I think God is leading me to do. Would you pray about it? And she knows I don't want her opinion. I want to know what she thinks God is saying to her. And if... I don't put any pressure on her to make a decision. I don't say, well, you know, I need to know by tomorrow or anything. I know that Paula is a woman that prays. I know that she spends time with Jesus. So when she comes to me and says, yes, I believe this is what God is leading, then we're in it together. There's no turning back because we're in it together. Nothing can stop us if that's the case. If she doesn't say anything, I know she's still praying about it. And God hasn't confirmed. I found that God uses Paula at times to slow me down. My tendency is to do whatever God tells me to do right now. You know, and don't even consider the consequences. Uh, it, it, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way at all, but I, I never consider the fact that I might be wrong. I just do it. But that's why God gave me Paula. So sometimes he uses her to slow me down. And, and I've talked to her about things and asked her uh, to pray about these things. And there's been sometimes a period of a, a couple of months go by. And then she comes to me and she said, you know, the Lord's spoken to my heart about that thing that we talked about. And here's what I think. And then we got a green light. We go together. Sometimes, not often. But there has been a couple of times, especially when it relates to personnel decisions, when Paul just said no. The Lord said no. And to me, that's a closed door. I'm not going to open it again. I don't say, well, why do you say that? I know that the Lord spoke to her heart, and God used her again to stop me. So, Jason, those are the things. Just, just wait for the Lord. Don't do anything until you're sure. In the meantime, stay where you are, doing what you're doing, as unto the Lord, honoring Him. And that enables him to open doors. And I'm not talking about an open door uh, like so many of us as Christians do. Okay, God, if this isn't you, close the door. You know, God doesn't do that typically. So wait till you hear from the Lord. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Bring people, especially if you're married, into the decision-making process. Don't ask a bunch of people, Jason, what they think, because it'll be confusing. A man of God should care only about what God thinks. And if you do that, then you're on really solid ground. Now, one thing that I will say. I've had a time where I thought I was doing the right thing. Paula thought I was doing the right thing. We were doing it together. I had the support of godly men in my church. They've seen God's hand move so many times that... You know, nobody wants to say no to the Lord. And I got all the way to that very moment where the decision would have been irrevocable. 
And it was as though Jesus was sitting in the room with me, protecting me. It was almost that day, I'll never forget it, so clear. It was almost like he was sitting in the room saying, hey, this sounds like a good idea, but it's not me. And I had the opportunity at that moment. Here's the point, Jason. God loves you. He wants to protect you. He's not going to try to trick you or trap you. So as unto the Lord, with all of your heart, do what you believe He's leading you to do. And if your heart is right with Him, and you're willing to accept His will, He will keep you from messing up. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So often we think, okay, Jesus, you began this good work. I know I've got to complete it on my own. No way. So please, no pleases. Don't ask other people what they think. This is time, Jason, for you to learn to hear the voice of God. Hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You're toll free, 877-630-KSLR. Teresa asks, when the Bible says we can ask God for anything and get it, does it really mean anything? Uh, I giggled, Teresa, because I've had that question over the years so many times, not just on this radio program, but in person as well. Uh, And there are so many false teachers out there who just kind of lay that on you and say, yeah, God has to do whatever you want if you say in Jesus' name and if you have great faith. No, what the Bible says, and we're going to talk about this in our study coming up this coming Sunday in John chapter 15, uh, God wants us to ask for things. With a grateful heart, He wants us to make our requests known to Him. But if our hearts are really grateful, we want what God wants for us. So it doesn't mean I can ask him for a new car or for a new house. It doesn't mean that Paula can ask him for a new husband. None of that, because none of that is God's will. But what it does mean is that if I ask God for anything that he wants for me, it's done. It's done. And that's good enough. That's why Jesus could pray, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, David says... That if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. And when He um, gives us the desires of our heart, when we delight in Him, that's what happens. He doesn't just say, okay, whatever you want, I'll, I'll do it. But He takes our carnal desires and replaces them with His desires. And that means, Teresa, when we ask, we're praying in the will of God. So anything that we ask that is in the will of God, we have what we ask for. But the Lord loves us so much that if you're talking about something material or a relationship or, or some acceptance into college or some such thing, God sometimes loves you so much that he says no to the things that he knows are not good for you, things that are not part of his plan for you. So the answer is to delight yourself in Him. And boy, will you ever get prayers answered. And I tell my church all the time, Teresa, that when God starts answering prayers, that's when we all really become prayer warriors because that's fun, that's exciting, that's thrilling. And all you have to do is delight yourself in Him. So, Teresa, I hope that gives you a little bit of direction. 340-9585, Ramon asks, why did God let the devil attack Job? Um, Ramon, God let the devil attack Job because for some reason we can't possibly explain it fit in God's plan for Job's life. Now, to us that sounds harsh, but I want you to think about something for a moment. Over the centuries, and Job, historically speaking, was the oldest book in the Bible. That is the period of time when Job lived um, before Abraham. Uh, Abraham might have been a contemporary of, of Job late in life, late in Job's life. But um, how many millions, if not billions, of people have been encouraged and comforted by Job's story? Jesus' sacrifice for us. Wasn't it okay for God to ask Job to sacrifice? By the way, Ramon, the whole book is about the question why are you being asked and God never answers. 
He did it for you, and he did it for me. One final thing on this one, um, uh, on this radio program uh, and others throughout the country, we're currently airing my teaching on the book of Job. So uh, if you're interested, um, we've got the book of Job. I think I'm on 5 o'clock in the morning on KSLR, uh, our teaching program. So uh, you can also go to calvarysa.com and access all of our teachings for free. Thank you very much. 340-9585. Let's go to David calling on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I was calling because I have a I have an issue with a uh, one of the Bible teachings. There's this translation called the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. I believe that particular translation is the Jehovah Witnesses Bible, right? Yeah, yes, you're correct. And I was uh, wondering, do they take the Bible out of context, or is it true, or what is it? Is it blasphemy? David, it's heretical, it's blasphemy, it's everything else. And by the way, uh, your problem with it is that we call that discernment, uh, and it's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart saying, put this down, put this down. Uh, the New World Translation is the Bible, as you indicated, of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it is uh, faulty from the beginning to the end. It is a Bible where words are added and phrases are added to, to, to um, strip the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, they believe he is the Son of God, but they do not believe that he is God the Son. Uh, they believe he is a created being rather than the creator of all things. Um, and so it is um, a heresy. The Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult, and we need to pray for all of the people who are locked, trapped into that cult. Um, because um, apart from a radical change um, in in what they believe, um, when they die, they're going to find out just how wrong they are. They will not be in heaven if they die believing Jehovah's Witness doctrine. So, David, that's just really, really good discernment. I uh, appreciate it very, very much. Thank you for calling. You know, I think sometimes when we think about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses especially because they use the same language so often. Uh, Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus is the Son of God. Um, Jesus died uh, and in his death I found salvation. All those things. It's just that the words mean completely different things. Only God can forgive sins. If Jesus isn't God, not just the Son of God, but God himself, uh, we are all lost in our sins, and that's why we really, really, really need to pray for them. Don't argue with them. Don't be combative with them. Just show them your light and your joy, because without the real Jesus, they have neither of those things. And we're talking about people that are really nice people, a lot of good people, people that work hard for their faith. You know, our, our neighborhood... We have Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on doors regularly. We have uh, Mormon elders who are giving two years of their lives uh, to spread this false gospel. We see them uh, riding around in, in short sleeve white shirts and ties uh, on bicycles in 100 degree weather in the summertime. I mean, they are sincere and they are committed, but they are also deceived. So pray for them. Don't get angry with them. Just pray for them. 340-9585, Paul asks, Pastor Ron, do you think Solomon is in heaven? Uh, I do, Paul. I, I think very um, uh, personally, I, I, there's no doubt uh, in, in my mind or heart that Solomon is in heaven. Uh, he is uh, an intriguing and a perplexing character, to be sure, uh, and he made lots and lots of mistakes. Uh, but, but David was promised. Um, Solomon, we have sort of the, the, the record of his journey um, to heaven. And um, um, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, sort of written by Solomon at the end of his life, looking back on a life that's squandered, um, it's, it's really, really a messy. So, so I do believe with all my heart that Solomon is in heaven. I'm going to take a phone call, and then if we have some time when, after the phone call, we'll come back to that question, because there's a lot more that can be said about Solomon. Let's go to Tina calling from Universal City. Tina, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi. I have a really a question. I have my um, three. I have two senior two two boys that are going to be seniors in college, and one is going to be a, a sophomore. And they know that I have been saved, and that um, where my faith is right now. And um, they brought to me late last night this not this their knowledge, which is really challenging my faith. So. Um, I'm coming to you with this because they have studied evolution and anthropology, and they went to great lengths to describe to me, you know, the um, testings of the Earth's layers and um, the they named the apes that have transformed over the billions and millions of years. They know their names. Um, the one that stood up on his hind legs, et cetera, et cetera. So my question is, for for their sake and for my sake, my, my, because this is scaring me, and it's, it's, like I said, challenging my faith, that um, why, why or where is that not discussed at all in the Bible, or did, you know, did God start once we were... We evolved from them because I mean my son yeah. was describing at length the way that the way that the the back side of the brain and the front side of the brain changed with these apes as they evolved over again <laughs> billions millions and billions of years. Yeah. So um, that's and I just want to know truthfully why it is not discussed in the Bible or did God just start with us once we became humans? I just don't understand it and I want to be able to discuss it with them because they um, they just don't believe because they just believe we evolved from Yeah. I, I, I can help Tina but over yeah, I, I, I can help, but the, the one thing that you need to remember is that, that these are issues of faith that they're going to have to deal with. Now, when I say issues of faith, it doesn't mean stupid faith or, or well, you just have to believe, but, but it really comes down to uh, a choice. Uh, the Bible says in the beginning, God. If, if, if Adam and Eve were not the first two human beings, period, then everything that we believe is a lie. Everything that we believe. Jesus said Adam and Eve were the first two. In the beginning, God created them, he said. So is Jesus lying? Now, these are questions that you have to, 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 to provide for them because they've got to decide what's true. If Jesus believed in Adam and Eve, if Jesus gave uh, credibility to the creation story, if John 1 says that all things were created by Jesus, he's the one who said, let there be light, and there was. He's the one who, who gave breath to Adam and Eve. Uh, if, if Jesus said that, then what they have chosen to do is take a scientific theory that has been changed so many times over the years and, and the theory of evolution, a Big Bang theory, or any other theory of origin uh, that compete for attention in the academic arena. Those are theories that start out with the assumption that there is no God. So if there is no God, you're looking for all kinds of reasons. And, um, you know, the, the, the geological column, the, the carbon dating of the earth, those kinds of things, uh, alternate theories have to come up. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is either Jesus created them or he didn't. And if he didn't, we're all lost. And when they're talking to professors at university, and this is going to happen to every one of our children, the, the theory of evolution is such an accepted fact. Billions and billions of years is such an accepted fact uh, that they won't even test it. And the simplest theory is the simplest. We can look at our world and see the design. If there is a design, there has to be a designer, an intelligent designer. We have the identity of that intelligent designer. His name is Jesus Christ. And we have that proven by an empty tomb. So what we've got to do is decide who we're going to believe. Are we going to believe the facts, so-called facts that are given in, in a college uh, course? 
a fact that begins with the assumption that God isn't real, that there is no God, or are we going to do what everybody knows instinctively is true, simply believe that in the beginning God? And your kids are going to have to make that choice for themselves. Now, don't let this be a crisis of conscience to you. A lot of those Neanderthals and the, the, the pictures that we had even when I was back in grade school, uh, they they had names and you'd show them in different um, uh, positions of standing upright and they'd get more and more upright until pretty soon they started to look more and more like a man. Uh, but there's no there's no connecting links. There's no proof. There's no evidence. The only way they can come up with a theory like that is to suppose that there is no God, and that's all it is. And we have the fact of a man named Jesus who said in the beginning God that he was the creator of all things. He affirmed that Adam and Eve was um, were the first two people, the first two humans. Uh, and we either believe him or we believe a college science course. And yes, they have names, and yes, they have theories, and yes, they look down their nose at people who would dare believe in a God. Um, but the truth is we have seen God at work, and don't let it shake your faith. Um, your kids, if they've been taught, they will... They will Make their own choices. Uh, Jesus will be knocking on the door of their heart, but they have to choose to believe. Theories are not fact. And if you have a fact that begins with the supposition that there is no God, it ceases to be a fact, and all of the evidence ceases to be credible because it's not objective. So, Tina, I'll be praying for you and for your kids, uh, but don't back down. Tell them to start at the back. Tell them, how do, you, how do you explain that Jesus didn't stay dead when they killed him, just like he said? And how do you explain that he said Adam and Eve were the first two people? Those are the choices that we have to make. It's a matter of faith, but our faith is based on evidence. Their faith, and it takes great faith to believe in evolution. Their faith is based on a theory that's changed so many times. Hmm. All right, we're at the end of the program. We've got to sign off very quickly. Appreciate the phone calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.